Welcome to the Mix Masters Podcast, a program created by me, Steve Litcher, live sound engineer for the band Stitched Up Heart. I created this podcast during the COVID pandemic as a means to keep in contact with my friends and mentors from the live sound industry. Touring with Stitched Up Heart has led me to meet some really incredible people, and I wanted to introduce you to their stories. So whether you're an experienced engineer, a hobbyist, or someone who's just wondered what goes into mixing a live music show, this podcast is for you. I've got to thank my friend Merritt Goodwin for this killer intro music. Merritt is the lead guitarist for Stitched Up Heart, and he's an incredible musician and composer. Give him a shout on Facebook at Merritt Goodwin, or on Instagram at Doubt the Trust. Thanks again for joining me. Now let's bring up the faders and start the podcast. This episode of Mixmasters features Dave Gordon. I met Dave while touring with Kaleido and Stitch It Apart in 2019. We played about a dozen shows together and we hit it off pretty quickly. For those not familiar with Dave, rest assured he's a true Mixmaster and has worked with groups that include Striper, Let Us Pray, Ross the Boss, Kaleido, Metal Allegiance, and many more. We share some of our favorite stories from the road, as well as our experiences and thoughts about being in the right place at the right time and always being nice even under stressful situations. We had a few internet connectivity issues, so there are several artifacts, pops, and robot voices throughout the episode, but the message and information is so fantastic, so thanks in advance for tolerating those minor annoyances. And now let's jump in and get to know Dave Gordon. Hey everybody, welcome to the Mixmasters podcast. I'm joined today by Dave Gordon. I met Dave uh, last year while on tour with Stitch Up Heart and Kaleido, and I'm super excited to talk to Dave. I haven't really chatted with him much uh, since the NAM show earlier this year. So, Dave, it's great to have you on the show. How are you, my friend? I'm doing great, man. Uh, thank you for having me. Uh, was I'm totally humbled, you know, that you even thought of me to to give me a shout and reach out and say, hey, you want to be a guest on the on the podcast? Hell yeah, man. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, you were one of the first guys I thought of. And I, I want to ask real quick, that accent of yours, I recognize it. Is it uh, South Texas? Um, I No, Ireland. <laughs> no, you're, you're out in Massachusetts, correct? That is true. Yeah, I'm in Southeastern Mass, um, kind of sandwiched between Boston and uh, Boston, Mass and Providence, Rhode Island, uh, probably about uh, stone's throw meaning about three minutes away from new bedford new bedford mass perfect i want to go into i i think we're going to have a lot of fun on this podcast it will probably be slightly less technical and more trading stories back and forth which i'm excited for yeah. but i want to start out a little bit I, I i'd like to learn a little bit more about your history and if my memory serves correctly uh i believe you were a drummer at one point but you want to take us through sort of your musical life experiences? Like when did you get started in music? How did you, uh, did you play instruments? And then how did you transition into this role as a sound guy? Yeah, so I mean, probably started when I was about four or five years old. My mom had a friend who was a, um, uh, who was a drummer in a band and she was he was married to my mom's best friend at the time. So I would always go over the house and watch him play drums and then that got me to banging on pots and pans and driving my mom and dad and my grandparents nuts. Um, and I really kind of was like, I went to my parents and I was like, you know, I want to play drums. And you know, my dad said, you know, he was reluctant at first because it was just more noise to him in the, you know, in the household. So he basically said, uh, he, he caved, 
he basically he caved and he turned around and said, um, he says, well, what I'll do is I'll get you a snare drum. And if you stick with the snare drum playing on the snare drum for 30 days, then I'll see about getting you a drum set. Now, mind you, he, he didn't just go into the store and buy a snare drum. He ended up going to the local music store, which is a uh, time it was no, no longer even in business with a small mom and pop shop of a single store called Chick's House of Drums. And he bought the drum set. It was a, it was a four piece Ludwig drum kit, you know, open ended bottom tom, you know, bottoms to the toms, open, uh, open front kick head, whole nine yards, just total vintage. So um, at about probably, I'd say, six or seven years old I was when this was going on. And uh, I floored him because at the end of 30 days, I was marking it on a calendar. And I went, okay, Dad, 30 days are up. Where's my drum set? And he was like, ugh, okay. And it just was, that's how I started playing drums was like really at about the age of about six years old. Took a couple of years of drum lessons. And just basically became self-taught. I got into, you know, the rock and metal music scene locally here in, in southeastern Massachusetts. Um, had a bunch of friends that I met um, just in that scene that were a little bit older than me, probably by about like six or seven years older. And, and they basically welcomed me with open arms, you know, kind of made me feel like, you know, I didn't have any siblings at the time. So they kind of made me feel like a brother. You know, um, and it was one of those things where I saw this one guy playing drums and I was like, whoa, I want to be like him. And it was this guy by the name of Dale Cunningham who um, plays drums for a band called Holy Cow or played drums for, for a band called Holy Cow. And that kind of got me on the whole double bass drum kit. And, you know, then I had to upgrade my Ludwig and get a double bass drum kit and you know, pretty much self-taught myself double, you know, double bass, you know, pedal techniques and stuff like that. And it just kind of, it was a snowball effect. What happens next? Um, it was, it was one of those things I upgraded to a, a Rogers, uh, double bass pearl white kit. And, um, I started getting into that. And then I like MTV was huge at the time playing strictly videos. I know a lot of people are like, what? They played videos? But yes, in the heyday, they played videos. And um, it was right around, this is probably right around the time, like, Striper was huge. Like, I'm talking huge because of the uh, To Hell With The Devil um, album that had come out. And I saw Robert Sweet playing on a white pearl drum kit. And I was like, oh my God, I'm like, what are the chances that he's playing on a white Pearl drum kit? And I have a white Rogers kit. They kind of look granted. Yeah. The, the brands weren't the same, but I was like, wow. And then I really got into, you know, the fact of how, like watching Robert play and listening to him and his little nuances and stuff like that. Um, and it was just basically by watching MTV and seeing like live clips, because obviously back then we didn't have YouTube. So I couldn't see like legit live, you know, live videos. Um, so I just kind of emulated his, his, you know, his strokes, his, his, you know, hitting techniques 
And I mean, he's probably one of the most powerful drummers that I've ever seen out there. And on the other end of the spectrum, he can be so super fluid that it was like, I was like, wow, he's kind of got like the, the like all around best of both worlds with his playing techniques. You know, just amazing. And his showmanship is beyond incredible. Absolutely. Both stage presence wise and in, in playing wise, uh, absolutely amazing. So for me as a kid, I looked up to that and was like, wow, if I ever play drums in a big band, that's what I want it to be like, you know? Yeah, Striper was a, a crazy band because their lead singer, uh, I can't remember his name, but he had such dynamic range, and then the guitars were so big and thick, you know, and I remember I had that cassette, and then I bought that CD, and now I have it on vinyl, so. Oh, do you? Yeah, I'm a I'm a Striper nice. fan, you know, I, I like their, I, To Hell With The Devil is an awesome album, it, you know, Christian Rock Aside, whatever, it, it's just great music, and I really, really enjoy it, so it's funny that you uh, modeled your playing after uh, after him. Yeah, I mean, um, so the singer of Striper is Michael Sweet. Um, Michael actually lives about 35, 40 minutes north and in, in, north and west of me, you know, per se, on a, on a map. And, and Michael is, he, he's really an amazing vocalist, super nice guy, you know, uh, between him and, and Oz Fox playing guitar, those guys are like, like they can play together, not even looking at each other and, and just so fluid. Like, it's like, wow, I, I can't, I can't believe it. And when you break down their guitar techniques, like I played at one point in time, I, I played for a striper tribute band called second coming. And I played drums obviously, but the guitarist that we had tried breaking down Michael and Oz's guitar techniques and they were like my god there are so many different nuances in their playing styles and techniques that they're absolutely amazing like people they don't get the they don't get the the recognition that they needed to get as quote unquote musicians because everybody was so enthralled with oh i you know i don't like them because they're talking about god you know, and it, to people, that was like something that was well outside of the box. You know what I mean? And nowadays, you know, all we need is positivity, you know? So it's kind of a good thing. And Striper, God bless them. They're still making music. You know, they, they've got a new album that's going to be coming out soon, too. So. Yeah, that's fantastic. I think you, um, I don't want to guide you down this story necessarily, but I think you ended up doing some work with Striper at some point, correct? Yes, I did. That was a whole, whole funny, you know, situation as far as that goes. The reason, like, when I ended up, after I had gotten my first, my, my double bass drum kit, my family ended up moving. Now I was probably about 12 or 13 years old at the time, but my family ended up moving to another part of uh, the town that I grew up in. And it was one of those things where the next door neighbor daughter was like my childhood crush at the time. It was like, like we were like the childhood, like girlfriend, boyfriend type of thing. And I was over their house and I was in her bedroom, not for anything out of the, you know, realm of being, you know, but 
I happened to look at her, like one of the, the um, I think it was a desk that it was on. I looked at her desk and I, I saw this framed photo and the framed photo happened to be of her with this guy with his arm around her and they both had like the biggest smiles. And I looked and I was like, oh my God. I was like, who is, I'm like, do you know who that guy is in the picture with you? She's like, yeah, it's my uncle. He's, you know, he sings for some rock band. I don't know. And I'm like, some rock band? I'm like, Kelly, that is like probably one of the biggest rock bands like that are on MTV right now. I'm like, that's Michael Sweet from Striper. She goes, yeah, you know, whatever. He works at, you know, he works at my aunt's, you know, my aunt's campground, you know? I was like, my God. So that was like another reinforcing thing with Striper. Um, But years later, um, um, now I'm fast forwarding to probably about 2003. I was seeing a a woman, uh, we were dating. And I figured, you know what? She loves Striper as well. And I says, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to surprise her. Now, we had been dating for like two years by this time. And I basically said, I'm going to reach out to Striper's management because they're going back out on the road. I says, and I'm basically going to see if I can, you know, pull some strings and get myself some concert, t- you know, get some concert tickets for him for a couple of shows. And, um, See if I can find out if they're going to do a meet and greet, you know, or anything of that nature. So I went online, I bought the tickets, called the record, you know, called their, their management company. I told them, I says, you know, I says, I, I basically, I'd like to propose to my girlfriend at the Striper show because we're both huge Striper fans. She heard that and she was like, oh my God, she goes, anything I can do for you. Absolutely. So she got us the, the meet and greet passes. After one of the shows, now the, we ended up getting, we got engaged at the Crocodile Rock in Allentown, Pennsylvania, um, which I don't even think the Crocodile Rock is there anymore. So it was that night and um, Gina did say yes that night. So, you know, God, God bless. It was like perfect. It was a perfect situation. Um, and then we traveled from Allentown, Pennsylvania to Lakewood, Ohio and watched the second show in Lakewood, Ohio at the Fantasy Theater. After that, I, you know, I really got into talking with, with Robert and, you know, met everybody from the band and, you know, let them know my ties to Massachusetts. And I, you know, knew that Michael was living in Massachusetts and they, I, we kind of just parted ways after the, the show at the Fantasy Theater. And it was one of those things where I get back home and I look online and Striper adds a final show to the tour. The final show to the tour ends up being at the Axis nightclub in Boston. And I was like, I can't not go to their show at the, in, the, in our home state. So Gina and I ended up going to the show. We watched the show and, you know, we caught up with the guys afterwards. And I pulled Robert aside and I says to Robert, I says, hey, you probably get propositioned all the time. I says, you know, I live in Massachusetts here. I says, if you ever need a drum tech for any reasons whatsoever, can I give you my, my name and my cell phone number? I've been playing drums and trying to, em, you know, kind of emulating myself after your playing techniques and styles for years now. And he said, yes, you know, I figured it was just him saying yes to appease me. 
And um, it was one of those things where, like, at the end of the meet and greet, you know, hey, shook hands, hey, thanks, took a couple of pictures and went on our way again. And uh, I think that was in November, the beginning of either the end of October or beginning of November of 2003. I ended up, my phone rang on the night of my birthday, November 23rd in, uh, in 2003. And it was a Las Vegas number, I think it was. And I'm like, hmm, I don't know anybody from Las Vegas. And I really, like, I didn't know where anybody was from from the band other than Michael because he lives in Massachusetts here. And all of a sudden, I answer the phone, and I'm like, hello? And I get, hey, is this Dave? And I'm like, yeah. He goes, hey, man, this is Robert Sweet from Striper. Do you remember me? And I'm like, do I remember you? I'm like, how could I forget about you? I'm like, what's going on, man? I'm like, how are you doing? He's like, great. He goes, you know, he goes, the band's going to be going back into the studio. And I wanted to take you up on your, you know, your offer about being a drum tech for me. He goes, I could use a studio drum tech. And uh, he goes, you know, I'd like you to, you know, kind of coordinate with my touring drum tech, you know, everything that I could possibly need for the recording studio. Cause we're going to be recording in Massachusetts. And I was like, man, anything you want, anything you need, you have my number. You let me know. He goes, absolutely. Well, you know, it just was one of those things where it just happened. I got a phone call. Like I was getting, I was getting things shipped to my house that, you know, said striper courtesy of my name, courtesy of Robert sweets name. And I was like, you know, from drum companies, from stick companies, from head companies. I was like, wow, man, tell me this isn't like totally surreal. I'm like, I never in a million years would have thought that this would have happened. So I went into the studio and I tech for Robert and I've, you know, tech shows sporadically here and there for him, um, you know, between, you know, the Northeast here, um, flew down to Disney, did a one-off show for uh, the Night of Joy in the Magic Kingdom. Um, just like it was just amazing it was that was like oh my god my life and music has has ended because it can't get any better than that that's that's an awesome story i i had no idea that any of that had happened it's it's so unbelievable but it really does echo what i've heard from a number of guys that i've been talking to on the podcast it's taking that first step throwing yourself out there offering to do something and then letting it bake you know like it doesn't happen immediately overnight where you know, you give your number to Michael Sweet, and then all of a sudden, you know, a day later, he's asking you to go on tour with him. It takes a little bit of time, and you've got to be willing to be patient. But that story is so fantastic. I really love it. Was that sort of your first introduction to, like, the, the studio world and, and the other side of the, the curtain for live sound? Uh, yeah, it really it was. Now, I'm like, I'm not a studio engineer by any means. Um, my my gist is like I love being I love the energy of a live music venue. That is that is what like fuels my fire and my soul because one I love loud music, and for two I just love music in general. You know, it, but getting back to, to to the fact of it that it doesn't happen like an overnight type of thing. That's how I got my my gig with Kaleido. You know, 
Kaleido was on tour again with Stitched Up Heart, but it was prior to you joining the Stitched Up Heart camp. Uh, I think it was like a year prior. And they did a show at the Vault Music Hall in New Bedford. And I was I just happened to be one of the, the A2s there. And one of the girls that I was working with as her front of house engineer, um, Lana Black, she turned around and she called me beforehand. She's like, oh my God. She goes, Dave, she goes, Stitched Up Heart, Kaleido, they're playing at your house. Can you get me on the front? Can you get me on the bill to open up? And I was like, well, let me see what I can do. You know, I pulled some strings and I talked to the the venue owner and he was like, he goes, yeah, man. He goes, how cool would that be? Three female fronted bands playing in our house? Absolutely. So that's the that was the day that I first met Christina from Kaleido. And it was one of those things where they were playing, they were playing at the vault and then the next night was playing at dingbats in clifton new jersey so i was right (laughs) so i was able to get in touch with michelle messina um that god loving little woman and uh basically i reached out to her and i says hey i says lana's doing an opening for stitch it apart and kaleido here in new bedford is there a way that, you know, because Lana's out from the New Jersey, New York area, can is, do you have any room for, for her on the, the, you know, for your show? And she took a look and she was like, yeah, I think I can do that. You know, so I mixed for Lana on the show at Greasy Lo- uh, the show at the vault in, in New Bedford. And then I mixed at, at Dingbats. And I, that's when, like I said, when I first met Christina and I basically turned around and after the show at Dingbats, I said to Christina, I said, Hey, I says, not for nothing. I says, but if you're ever looking for a front of house engineer, you know, I says, here's my number, you know, what's the, I figured what's the worst that's going to happen. I didn't know where they sat on the spectrum as far as, you know, wanting somebody or not, but I figured the worst thing that's going to happen is she's going to say no, but thank you. She literally called me back like six months later. Actually, I, I sent her a message through Facebook. I says, hey, just wanted to, you know, reach out to you and say, hey, and, you know, see how you're doing and make sure all is well. And her response to me was, it, it, long story short, was it's funny that you just messaged me because I was just thinking of you. We're putting a tour together with Stitched Up Hard again, and I would love for you to be our engineer. I was like, okay, sounds good. You know, so, I mean, I I mixed Kaleido a couple of, like, one-off times um, at the vault because they had come through the vault before. And that's what I, I heard their music, and I was like, wow, man, this is so cool. Like, their song Trouble in Paradise and was just it's one of those songs that just gets you, you know, whether you're in the, the realm of rock or metal or like Calypso or reggae, like that song like brings in everything. And I was like, wow, man, this has got a great feel, a great vibe. You know, it, it was just, it was one of those things. And, you know, so Christina basically just said, you know, Hey, I love the way you mix you actually pay attention to the detail. You do your homework. You listen to us. 
you want to know not where our strengths are, but you want to know where our weaknesses are so you can make the weaknesses sound better. And I'm like, there's not, you know, I'm not looking for weaknesses per se, but I'm looking to just make the overall sound that much better. So if I can get a live mix that sounds amazing, that's my end, that's my end goal, you know? So that's, they put me on that and that was in November. And, um, I think that's, that was the tour we headed out. Our first show was at, um, Herman's hideaway, if I'm not mistaken, Salt Denver, Lake. Colorado. Yeah, we, you're right. We did see you guys first at Denver. We were at Salt Lake prior. You were at Salt Lake prior to like the night or two before. Yeah. Yep. And that's when you and I first met. Yeah. Oh, God. And you saved my bacon uh, that night. (laughs) (laughs) I need to tell this story real quick. Uh, Go ahead. So uh, as Dave mentioned, Stitch Up Heart, I flew to Los Angeles uh, in early November, met up with Stitch Up Heart. We rehearsed for a day or two. This was the first time that we were touring, uh, that I was touring with them. And and we had like our own self-contained package for in-ears, front of house, microphones, everything. So we didn't really have to rely on the house for much of anything. That's a blessing and a curse sometimes. And uh, we did this. We drove out to uh, Salt Lake City from Los Angeles after you know a couple of days of rehearsal. Played our first show at Salt Lake City. I think it was the Metro. And uh, Brian, oh, golly, and I'm going to forget his last name. Brian, I'm super sorry. But he was actually a guest on the podcast earlier as well. Brian helped me tremendously at the Metro and we left the metro we got to salt lake city and i had this whirlwind drum drop that was like a lifesaver because it for those not familiar the whirlwind drum drop is a little stage box that has a multi-pin connector on one side and then it has like a fan of of microphone cables coming out of the other end so that you can plug in your kick drum your snare your hi-hat your toms and it, then it all trans, all those, instead of running 12 different cables from the drum kit to your mixer, you run this one big multi-pin cable. It really makes it more neat and tidy. So we're running late. We get to Herman's Hideaway late. There's no no spot to park the, the trailer. There's It's just terrible. And so we get set up. Everybody's flustered. This is show number two for me with Stitched Up Heart. I reach into my stage box. I grab my drum drop. I set it down. I cannot get the cap off of the drum drop. I don't have any extra microphone cables. I'm completely sweating. I'm nervous. My first time working with Clido, I wanted to get you guys on the stage so that you could do things. And you're like, oh, hey, man, I've got a bunch of extra XLRs if you want to use those. And I was I was like, no, we're going to get this to work. And you and I fought with that multi-pin cap. We tried everything. I think we spent you know 45 minutes trying to get that cap off. We couldn't. Mixie's asking what's taking so long. The band's starting to get antsy. Finally, you reach into, your, into this duffel bag and you pull out like, 10 XLRs. We run all those cables. You were an absolute, it doesn't sound like a big deal, but man, you were a lifesaver. So thank you for doing that. Oh, please. That's what we do, man. You know, it's when you're not just when you're out on the road, but it's like, if you treat somebody with like their family and you treat somebody with respect, hopefully that will pay back in time. That's kind of been my philosophy, you know, throughout everything, as far as that goes, you know, I make sure I, you know, I make sure that, you know, when I'm dealing with people, my main, my main communication afterwards is please, thank you, you're welcome, and I appreciate it, you know, in hopes that be, putting that positive energy out there and that positive vibe out, out there 
will get that in return, you know, and people might go, wow, you know, he, he's, he's actually a decent guy, you know, he's respectful, you know, he wants to get the job done and he, and he, he does it in a way that isn't demeaning or demoralizing to anybody else. Yeah. No, it's uh, it is really refreshing, and that was, I think, the the biggest pleasure for me working with you guys was everybody in the band was so fantastic. You know, all Christina, Joey, Cody, you know, Drew, everybody was just Drew, fantastic. Yeah. And I had never met you, and you know, we were late. Everything that could go wrong was going wrong, and you were just like, hey, "It's all good, man. Don't worry about it. You know, we'll get this sorted out. It's what we do." And yeah, I don't get too excited too often, but I was, I was sweating because <laughs> I was and, like, and, yeah. And ever since that night, we've been twins, exactly. you know, I look at you as Arnold Schwarzenegger and I'm the Danny DeVito, <laughs> uh, a fat Arnold Schwarzenegger. I am and you're a oh. thin Danny DeVito. So I think we're, we're slightly opposite in that respect. Now, I know also on that Clyde tour, you were TMing, PMing and front of housing and monitor engineering. Did you, were you, had you TM'd or PM'd for anybody prior to Clido? Uh, no, I hadn't. And, and to add an, you know, and I'm not just, you know, to, to kind of, you know, fluff myself up, but I was also, I drove that tour. Yeah. Oh God. You yes. know, and, and thankfully Cody, thankfully Cody had experience driving, uh, you know, a larger vehicle with a trailer. Um, because he was able to, to swap off with me at some times, but, um, it was my first time TMing. Um, uh, you know, in, I, the way that I was raised, I was, I was raised from like a paramilitary environment. My dad was a correction officer, um, retired from the Massachusetts department of corrections. Um, in 1998, I became a correction officer and I was pretty much I was I was sent through there the Department of Corrections um, basic training academy so I was I was beat I was beat up you know and prepared mentally and physically by about four former Marines you know so my attention to detail was like has been on spot you know as far as to thankfully I had that you know that as a background of attention to detail because TMing PMing you know, front of house, you can't, it's such a quick, it's, it's such a quick, um, environment that you really, it's almost like you don't have time to react. It's just going to be like a second nature type of thing. Yeah. Um, in my attention to detail, you know, kind of sets me up for success. So I take a little bit longer to set up on the front end of things in hopes that throughout the show, Everything else will kind of run smoothly, but I'll expect some hiccups, some speed bumps, some, you know, prick of bushes and some mountains that I got to, you know, overcome, you know, in hopes that, you know, it goes smoothly. But um, so, yeah, t tour managing it was one of those things where I was like, OK, you know what? I can do this. I can do this, even though I hadn't. Christina was like, yeah, you can be our TM, our PM. And I was like, oh, okay, I guess. <laughs> your, your stack of hats on that tour was about, you know, four feet tall because you, like you said, you were driving the majority of the time, which is insane. You were yep. PMing, TMing, front of house, monitor engineer, you know, teching. Yeah, it was, that was admirable. You're, you're uh, an, a true Iron Man. 
Yeah, jack of all trades, master of none is what I like to say. <laughs> yeah. And it's, uh, I, I think that, you know, there's an old saying, I'm a project man, or I was a project manager uh, for a long time. And there was an old saying like, go slow to go fast. So, mm -hmm. you know, you take all that time in the beginning to plan. I did the same thing with Stitch It Apart. You know, I'd never been on a international tour because we were in Canada, we were in the United States. I had no idea what to expect, uh, but I just, you know, took time to map everything out, tried to figure out, plan out, you know, what was going to work. And that'd be a great piece of advice for anybody listening that's relatively new to this business. Like, it's okay to wing it. You have to every once in a while, but the more you can plan and the more you can prepare, the the bigger dividends it's going to pay, especially when things go wrong, because you'll you'll have some backups and it won't be quite as like stressful. Yeah. I mean, before, you know, rehearsals are exactly that, you know, rehearsals are rehearsals for the band, but a true rehearsal will give the sound engineer time to go out, make sure that all of the gear that they are bringing out on the road with them is in roadworthy condition and ready to be set up every night for every show of the tour. Now, granted, yeah, things do happen on the road. People do have to go to your, you know, your guitar centers or, you know, your Sam Ashes or whatever have you to pick up things here or there. But if you, if you create yourself, um, your environment, meaning like your stage plot, so you know exactly how your setup is going to be every single night and you do it perfectly with muscle memory, that becomes second nature. So, you know, you know, you, you don't even have to think about it. You know, I've got an SM57 going here. I know I got 604s going here. Like, you know, you know, I've got, you know, whatever have you. But so long as you use that time to prep, it makes it, makes it easier as the shows go on. Sure. So that way you're not looking like, you're not looking unprofessional. Even because even the most professional people can go out there and look unprofessional. But some of the people that go out there that aren't professional on the flip side of that coin, they the ones that aren't, quote unquote, like from professional engineers can present themselves and improve, you know, provide a product that is a professional quality. So th the other interesting thing about that tour was you you just used every house board every house console uh, along the way and I was kicking myself this morning because I was looking back I should have let you use the M32 I should have built we should have built you a scene and then you guys could have used that board and so if we tour in the future we're definitely doing that you're gonna use the D live we'll build you a scene and then uh, yeah it'll be good that that works for me too and the reason why I did it that way was for for one, I didn't want to lug another piece of large gear as far as that goes. We were already tight in the trailer to begin with. So it was one of those things for me to, for me to just bring in a, a board and, you know, whether it be cat five or, you know, cabling to set up, to tie into to front of house. And then you're looking at, you know, the house board being there, your board, you know, your board being there. And then mine, I was like, no, that's not going to happen. And, and the other aspect of it too was my thought process was I want to mix on these different boards. I don't want to just be geared into just one board. I want to learn more. I want to see the versatility because it was like, it's like if you go out and buy a car, 
You're not going to just go out and go, I want that car and not even test drive it and then buy it. So this way, I mean, there was probably a good, I would say, at least maybe eight to 10 different boards with all of the venues that we were at. And it gave me the opportunity to play on the boards, see how I liked them. So that way, later on down the road, if I want to invest, if I wanted to invest in something, I knew what I liked already. And what's cooler to test drive something when you're getting paid for it, you know? Well, on the flip side, what's more nerve wracking having to, uh, you know, use board du jour and finding out that one third of it doesn't work or whatever, for whatever reason. Yeah, but that's, that's bound to happen on house boards. You know, you get sticky faders, you have knobs that are missing, you have, you know, whatever, but adapt and overcome. Yeah. Adapt and overcome. I've told this story a few times, but uh, do you remember being in, uh, I think it was in Michigan where one side of the PA, all the mid-high frequency drivers were blowing and the oh, subs yes. didn't work. <laughs> we're... We, yeah, I, I don't know. Should we? Yeah, I'm not even going to say what, what venue yeah. it's at. Yeah. No, but thank you. <laughs> thank you to Elsie Banks. Uh, her, her sound engineer knew that that venue was troublesome, so he brought his own subs front fills yep. and he so graciously let us use those i don't think he let us use the front fills uh but the subs were welcomed uh because yes. it was uh dismal when we got there. oh to say the least but we got it to sound good so you know i mean or as best as we could that was such and a crazy I, i'm sorry i stepped on you uh that was such a crazy no. show because i had my waves rig that i was using and and because the pa had so many challenges i was like Today is the night that I'm going to rely on waves for my show to make it sound a little bit better. Yep. And so I set up all my plugins. I got everything all set up in sound check. And literally while the intro music was playing for Stitch Up Heart, my waves rig crashed. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Well, that's one of those fires you got to put out, you know? <laughs> and so I was like... Of course, you know, of all the things that are going to happen. So I had to bypass my, my wave stuff and, you know, run without it. And it was okay, but I was so looking forward to like having that little bit of extra crutch. And meanwhile, you're up yep. in the booth on there. I think it was an X32 and, you know, yeah, that was. had its own challenges as well. And, and I pointed at my waves and you looked at me and you're just like, ah, what are you going to do? <laughs> you know, I mean, the show's got to go on. I mean, not to be cliche, but I mean... It, it's it's one of those things, but that's when you can when you can troubleshoot a problem and solve it. That goes to show, and I don't care how educated you are, whether you're self-taught or can you know have gone to Berkeley School of Music or to Full Sail Center for the Recording Arts. If if you've got a problem and you can troubleshoot it and solve it. That's aces. That's that's true of, wow, you know, they at least they know what they've got going on. I'd rather take I would rather work with somebody who is self-taught, but knows the general principles and applications. And if the pro if a problem arise, arises, they can troubleshoot it and get it fixed as opposed to somebody who can give me all the numbers off the top of their head, but put them in a, 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 a live scenario and they're all thumbs and they can't get it figured out. 
it's just one of those things. And there's going to, there's always instances where you're going to, you know, you're going to get into a situation where you go, man, I don't, I don't know how to fix this. And that's where, you know, that's where it comes into play of treating people with respect, being, you know, sending out positive vibes. You got phone a friend. We all got cell phones now. If I run into a problem and I know somebody knows more about whatever the problem is than I do, I can call them up. Like I've had issues with boards before a, a pro two. I was using a pro two C and it just so happened that the subs weren't communicating with the system. And my buddy, Chris David, who owns amped up uh, concert productions out of Rhode Island. He, I called him. I'm like, dude, I'm like, I'm dude. I'm a one for ginger. And I have a huge issue. I'm like, I have tried everything in my power. What's your thoughts? And he was like, well, did you try this? I was like, yep. He's like, did you try this? I was like, yep. He goes, go to the board for a minute. And I'm like, okay. He's like, go into, go into your general preferences and then go into this and then go into this and then look at your tabs and go to your, this preference tab. And he's like, you see a, 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 you know, a checkbox there. And I'm like, yeah. And he's like, is it checked or is it unchecked? I'm like, it's unchecked. He's like, click on it and check it. I did. He goes, now turn up the music in the iPod. And I turned it up and voila, there are my subs. But it's like, that was one of those issues where I came across something that I, I, I'm familiar with the Pro 2C and the Pro 2, but I wasn't pages deep into the computer system knowledgeable. But I reached out to a good friend of mine and he was able to like walk me through it. So that's why being positive, having good vibes, good networks, this, that, and the other thing. Like I said, we're, we should be a big family as far as that goes. Yeah. And that's was a case in point right there. I never want somebody to groan when they see my name on caller ID, although I'm sure a lot of people do. <laughs> hey, same with, same with me. I'm, I'm 125% sure of it. <laughs> So you mentioned the Midas Pro 2. Um, I know when we were at a couple of venues, you were on the Pro 2. And is that what you have at Six String? Because you, uh, for those not familiar, Dave uh, is front of house at Six String Saloon. I can't remember the full name. Uh, it's Six String Stage and Grill. Okay. Um, it's formerly the uh, Toby Keith's Bar on the property of uh, Gillette Stadium inside a Patriot Place. Gotcha. And do they have a Pro console there? They, we have a, a Midas Pro 2C and thankfully I've been able to night after night kind of dive more into it. Again, it's like I said, it's muscle memory. The more that you're around the board, the better you're going to, the more intimate you can become with the board, the better off you're going to be. It's kind of like, it's like a relationship. It's like a marriage. The more intimate you are with it, the better it's going to treat you. (laughs) In most cases. Right. Yeah. <laughs> we we also run a um, a Pro 2C at uh, the Vault Music Hall in New Bedford. So it's nice because I get double the amount of of exposure to it. Yeah. Um, you know, I did some work with uh, the Strand, the Strand Ballroom Theater in Providence, Rhode Island, and they have the full size uh, Midas Pro 2. 
again, same basic principle. Nothing changes. Um, just the Pro 2C being a, a, the compact version of it. Right. Um, so I basically was able, you know, I've been basically able to just kind of like drown myself in the Pro 2 and the Pro 2C and, you know, get even more accustomed with it. Yeah. It is an amazing console. I will be completely transparent and say that I don't fully understand all of the uh, the routing of things and, you know, in, it, in pop groups versus uh, VCAs versus, you know, all that fun stuff. But it is a fantastic board. I like mixing on it. It just takes me a hot minute or six to uh, refamiliarize myself with things. And, and, and that's going to be, that's par for the course. I was, I was in England and I was drum teching, um, drum teching for Steve Bolognese who plays drums for Ross the Boss. But I was, again, it was one of those things where I was wearing multiple hats and we were playing uh, the Bloodstock Open Air Festival in uh, Derbyshire, England, I think it was. And I was asked to do monitors by K.K. Downing from Judas Priest. And I was like, I was not expecting it. But he found out that I, you know, do engineer work for Ross and stuff like that. And um, he was like, I remember him coming up to me and going, I was at rehearsals with him. And he comes up to me, he goes, in his, in his English accent, he's like, Dave, mate, you're going to do monitors for us, right, mate? He goes, there's no reason for you not to. He goes, you're bloody, you're here. You know, you know what we're looking for. And why should I have to explain it to some guy that I don't even know? And I was like, um, okay, sounds good. I'll do your monitors, but it was one of those things where Bloodstock had their guys doing it, and I basically coached their guy as to how they wanted their mix. I let him run the board. Um, they, I think they were using they were using um, either SC. I think they were using SC forty eights. I think they were using SC forty eights, and um, it was one of those things where you know I let them do their. Th- thing i didn't want to step on toes um you know i wasn't walking i don't walk into any house and go this is the band i'm with and blah 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 blah. you know i don't walk in with an ego you know if i if i sense any type of tension or anything like that i try to correct the problem and kind of educate somebody but i don't overstep my boundaries i know that that was what they were hired for and i said well I'll just, you know, if you don't mind, you can run the run the console. I'll just give you like the thumbs up and thumbs down as far as to who needs what and kind of go from there. Yeah. You know, go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, no, I was going to say I, I wanted to transition a little bit over to the Ross the Boss uh, component because when I well, let's back up one second. So we toured together November, December, and then we met up at NAM in January at the Metal Allegiance show at the House of Blues. Yep. Again, having that number where somebody doesn't groan too loudly when they see your name. I, I called you and I was like, hey man, are you at NAM? Blah, blah, blah. We met up at the Metal Allegiance show. That was a blast. You were working backstage. You got me backstage. So thank you for doing that. That was really fun. Oh, you're welcome. And then uh, I crashed in your hotel room that night. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yep. So thank you again for that. You saved me like a two hour drive to the place that I was staying north of LA. So that was fantastic. But then yep. you were getting ready to go out on a tour with Ross the Boss. 
Can you talk a little bit about that tour? Were you able to get it in before the COVID pandemic struck? And talk about that experience a little bit. Yeah, so so that Ross the Boss tour was um, basically in the pl- in the planned works since like I'd say the summer of 2019, and it was going to be it was the North American tour. Basically, they were redoing uh, the Hail to England album in its entirety, and they had just finished recording a new album, uh, Born a Fire. And that was being that was being released. I believe it was March sixth was when that was when Born of Fire was released. But it was one of those things where everything was all set in stone. We went out and did the show. There was a little bit of grumblings about the whole coronavirus, COVID nineteen thing, but it wasn't to the extent that it is now. We, we went out and it was, again, it was another tour where I wore a ton of different hats. Um, I, I think I really need my head examined for that. But um, fortunately, we were able to get it in. The, the, the tour started January 21st, 2020. Uh, it, the opening show was at the Vault Music Hall in New Bedford. And then the last show was February 24th. Yeah, February 24th, 2020 at the, I want to say it was at the Foundry in uh, inside of the Fillmore in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. So it was, we just literally got the tour in and then like two weeks later is like, oh my God, everything's closing down. Like music venues, touring stopping and I'm going, whoo, thank God we got it in because you know, not for nothing, but, and I know that this virus is, is a, is a real thing. I mean, people are getting sick and my heart goes out to the, you know, the people and the families and friends who have lost people from this. But I was like, we, like the tour could have been, you know, basically ruined because if we were in the middle, we would have, we would have lost money. We, we would have lost money being out on the road if it got canceled midstream. And you guys were you were gearing up to go to Europe right after that as well, right? With Ross the Boss, or was that scheduled for the, the summer? Yeah, no. So that was uh, the Ross the Boss European tour was scheduled right after. We already had our flights. We the tour was already taken care of. Flight itineraries were all set. We were we were set to leave. I was leaving from Logan March thirtieth, and flying out to Frankfurt, Germany. And like literally a week before management called me and were like, we're postponing the tour. There's, there's nothing we can do about it for, you know, it wasn't to the fact of like, we're trying to push this in. They were being proactive given the climate of everything that was going on in the world. They were like, it's just better for us to, to postpone it now, reach back out to these venues and reschedule and go from there. You know, and and they did. So now what was supposed to happen in three weeks in April is actually going to be transpiring between the middle, like the middle of November this year to the middle of December. So, you know, provided everything opens back up. Granted, yeah, there's probably going to be a lot of changes, which I'm. Well, I'm I'm not going to get into it because that puts me into politics and personal personal you know 
you don't want to know. No, it's, it's all good. <laughs> but it's yeah, it's rescheduled though for uh, October. Um, I'm sorry, for November, December of 2020. So two follow-on questions with the Ross the Boss. Um, were you carrying a console in that earlier tour, or were you mixing on house consoles? You know what I love to do? I was mixing on house consoles. Of course you were. <laughs> You're the bravest wow. guy I know. That's unbelievable. Yeah, no, I, I mixed on house consoles. Fortunately for me, I was able to, in our rider, I put together a few of the consoles that that I was calling for and, and, you know, predominantly I love mixing on, on the, the Midas series. So like my first choice was, um, was the Midas pro two or pro two C at worst case scenario, if the house had a pro one, you know, I'd use the pro one. My second was the Midas M32. And, and then my third choice was either like the SC48 or Avid Venue to use one of those as front of house console. And fortunately, every venue had one of those with the exception of, I think, maybe two venues. They had a Soundcraft, whether I forget what line that they had, but it was um, the SI lines. And they reached out to me and they were like, listen it's going to cost us an exorbitant amount of money to rent the board in. Are you totally against mixing on our house board? And this is what it is. And I was like, I'm not against it. I'm not against it. It makes it easier for me because I can drop file after file after file. If I'm using a pro two pro two C or, you know, the M 32 or even, even the, the Behringer, the, x32 so it was one of those things where i was like okay now i can i'll work outside of my my realm just to make it easier and make it more cost effective for the venue itself yeah you know so it was just one of those things but again i learned more so it got me touching something else to make me give me familiar out familiarity to it uh, my follow-up question is uh were you pming and advancing everything for the european shows as well no. So I was able to take a step back for, from that aspect there. Ross has Ross works with dragon productions out of Germany. And there is a goddess by the name of merit who is, who works for dragon productions. She has it down to a science. And I was like, you know what? Let her have it. I mean, the girl probably, if the girl doesn't speak five different languages, she doesn't speak one. Wow. And I'm like, uh, I'm like, I can barely speak English. I'm like, I'm not going to walk into, I'm not going to walk into, into Europe thinking that I can, you know, TM and PM this whole thing. What I really can't, you know, I know where my weaknesses are. So let her have at it. Absolutely. I am not taking offense to it whatsoever. And then the other thing was, with that so merit's going to be the the tm and ross has a guy uh his name's renee and renee is his front of house engineer for um for europe and and i basically said to ross i says listen you won't be hurting my feelings one bit by having renee run your front of house as far as that goes i says these venues 
You want me to run monitors for you? I'll run monitors for you. I will drum tech for you. I will be your production manager. I says, I know who's, you know, I can sense who's better fit for, for certain positions. And I'm not the one to have an ego to say, well, if you're not taking me for this, then I'm not going. You know what I mean? Yeah. I know if somebody's got a better, you know, a, a better gist on things, roll with it. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Yeah, sometimes it's better to uh, not fake it until you make it and just let uh, let things lie where they lie. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Hey, we're coming up on one hour, and I try to keep these right at one hour. Uh, I could easily talk yep. to you for another couple of hours, so I'd like to get you back, and we'll trade more stories back and forth. Yeah, absolutely. I've also managed to pretty much run out of coffee. I, I had a pot of coffee sitting next to me, and it's it's empty. You want some of mine? No. <laughs> <laughs> And I'll tell people why. Oh, why not? <laughs> this might sound rehearsed, but I guarantee you it's not. Um, <laughs> so Dave and I were at the NAM show, and we uh, we met up for breakfast at a, a cafe or something. And we both ordered coffees, and uh, I watched Dave put, I think, every single packet of sugar from our table. You may have reached across to another table to get more packets of sugar, and then I, I think, think you, I did. you used every single creamer. You, I think your spoon stood straight up in that coffee when you were done with it. Well, that's why I'm so sweet is all the sugar that's in my coffee. <laughs> I think I posted a picture to Facebook something uh, about, you know, it was it was sugar, cream and sugar with a touch of coffee. And <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yeah, so I'm I'm out of coffee, so uh and I definitely will not take you up on the offer although I do appreciate it. <laughs> not a worry i don't take offense to it at all yeah um so real quick in closing um what have you what do you i know you've got the ross the boss tour the european leg rescheduled for the end of the year have you got anything else in the works or anything new that you're working on these days um i'm i'm waiting to hear back um i've got some feelers out um i've been working with brett michaels um, so it might be one of those things where Brett's TM and I have been in conversation, um, to possibly go out as a utility guy slash, um, monitor engineer. And, uh, the other thing is just is Ross. And then Christine has been in constant contact with me, um, as far as that goes and told me that when Kaleido's set to go, she's going to call me back. And, I'm not one that needs to bounce around. I like to be, I like to be in a set home as far as that goes or a set family. I do enough bouncing around where, you know, I've run, I run monitors at six string and I've run monitors for St. Estonia, worked with Aaron Lewis, worked with Night Ranger, worked with uh, Rat, with, with Brett Michaels. And, but at least it's the consistency there. It's, you know, that's one of my home, my home venues. But I'm not the one that like really wants to go out and and work with one person this weekend, one person that weekend, another person. It doesn't allow me the time and opportunity to learn the 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 artists and the musicians to give them the best possible product that I can give them. So that's why I like to stay close knit, tight knit with you know a few families. Yeah. So. Well, and I don't blame you because um, I do want to give another shout out to everybody from Kaleido. That, that whole band is absolutely lovely. 
Uh, they were so fantastic to tour with. And Mixie and Christina have a have a really strong relationship. It was parodied a little bit with the the wedding. I, I was going to say they're married now, aren't they? I think technically yes. And the funny thing about that is they got married on my birthday. Oh, you're right. That was November 23rd in uh, Scranton, Pennsylvania at uh, the bank, I think was the venue or the vault. Um, I think it was called the vault also. It was. It was. It was called the vault. Yes. In Scranton. Yep. Yeah. Yep. That was another, that was another, oh my God, house to deal with. Yeah. Oof. Anything, any, anything that is a bank turned into a music hall is always going to be a, always has the possibility of being a nightmare with acoustic wise. Well, and again, you know, that's just with you guys being so cool. And when I say you guys, I mean, Kaleido, um, that the, the, the concept of that venue was really awesome. It was an old historic bank, mm-hmm. but that meant it was long and narrow, yep. very, uh, hard surfaces, marble floors, plaster walls, glass everywhere. Yep. They had converted the, the old vault into a kitchen Yep. And you guys uh, set up your your gear backstage was the kitchen. Literally, there were chefs cooking food, and Joey setting up setting up his drum set back there. Absolutely, and nobody complained. Nobody nobody said anything about it. And it just I think that just really reiterates how fantastic you know you guys are, and and how flexible and adaptable and awesome it is to be with you guys. Yeah, well, I mean, it's it's just. You have to be that way. There's really no reason to really have an ego. I mean, I get it. The road is frustrating. There's things that you have to deal with. You want some type of normalcy. You're away from family for an for extended period of times, you know, whether it's weeks or months on end. I get the road frustrations because let's be honest, even, you know, even being in a, a moving vehicle with, with people for an extended period of time you you get those times where you're like i've had enough i need a break you know my thing uh, being a, a being the tm for for ross was i i you know i stole pantera's phrase i stole pantera's phrase and i was like please i just want five minutes alone that's it just to be able to clear my head yeah um but everybody is super cool you know, I have been blessed with working with people on the road that are, in my mind, they're true professionals because they don't, they know how to present themselves. They're, they're not ignorant by any means. They just say what they want and, and they're willing to work. It's not a hard line of, I have to have this. I have to have that blah, 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 blah. Or it's no go. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, um, so I take my hats off, you know, I take my hat off to people like that. Yeah. Well, I think that's a really great place for us to end. It sort of summarizes the theme of our discussion today, which is be prepared, do your best, but most of all, just be nice. (laughs) I think that's, that's the best thing that anybody can do in this business. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. Cool. Well, Dave, it was such a fantastic pleasure to speak with you today. Thanks for uh, taking time out of your, your day to chat with us and, Let's talk again because I know we've we've haven't even scratched the surface on some of the the better stories that we can uh, bounce off of one another. This is true. This is true, and I I would be more than happy to, Steve. Absolutely, it's been my pleasure. 
Um, and, and I look forward to us catching up again and continuing on. And that's a wrap on today's show. I hope that you found it equal parts entertaining and informative. This show is recorded on an Allen and Heath D-Live system with Sure microphones and Waves tracks live. I use Skype, FaceTime, and Facebook Messenger to meet with my guests, so the occasional robot voice is to be expected. Thanks again to Merrick Goodwin for the awesome show music and to you for listening. Be sure to visit the Mixmasters website at www.mixmasterspodcast.com. Subscribe to the podcast and tell a friend. Mixmasters can also be found on Facebook and Instagram at Mixmasters Podcast. That's all one word. Give a like, follow us, and never miss out on new episodes. 